I think I am on, yep. Um, and this is my attempt this morning to stay, I should say, stick to my notes. So um, you're like, how many notes does he have? You don't want to know whatsoever. If you have your Bibles, go to Revelation. Some people are like, we're going to lunch now. Um, no, we won't keep you long at all today. Go to Revelation chapter 2. We are continuing our series, and if you're new with us, uh, my name is Dave. I am the pastor of K-First, and I just celebrate that you have joined us for worship. For those joining us online, we want to celebrate you. And it's rare that when people give me a heads up about special days, it is honestly rare that I remember because I go into sermon brain, uh, for which a lot of my stuff is memorized, is in my noggin, working through the melon here. Uh, but today is Mick and Vicki Pierman's 30th anniversary, or this weekend, they're celebrating it. So uh, Mick and Vicki, I know you're away for the weekend. You're skipping church for your anniversary. Um, it's all good. We love you guys so much, and we just want to say happy anniversary to you. Um, some of you are like, if you're new, does he not allow you to skip church? Not no, I do. Yes, I don't control those things. I'm coming off very controlling right now. Um, but we're going to dive into uh, this fourth message of this series, and this is going to be a little bit of a different message. Stick to my pulpit. This is going to be a, a bit of a teaching, a bit of a pastoral conversation with this congregation. No, I am not resigning today of anything of that sort. Whenever your pastors say, we're having a powwow this morning. Somebody's resigned, something big has happened. Um, but today I want to talk about a subject that is necessary for pastors to talk through with their congregation. And it really ties into what we are talking about in our series. When I began to, do, to study for this series months ago and began to look through the different churches of Revelation 2 and 3. The, the, the church of Thyatira um, is a church that I feel like the Holy Spirit kind of nudged my heart and said, this is going to be the Sunday where you have that conversation, the talk about the issue that I think has been corrosive to faith and corrosive to churches, and it's the, it's the word deconstruction. And so some of you have never heard of that term you're going to learn about today. For others of you, uh, you have heard the term and you've even known people who are going through it. But we're going to have a conversation today. Um, and the title of my message is, simply, is just simply this, how it started and how it's going. How it started and how it's going. I should have... Um, if, if I need to switch to a handheld mic and go ultra-evangelist, I can do that. Just let me know. Give me the heads up. Uh, but would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, I thank you for opportunities to share, opportunities to come together, opportunities to worship. And I pray that you would take what we say and do today and use it for the glory of the Son. We would use it for the glory of the Father. We would use it for the glory of the Holy Spirit that everything that we say and do would impact lives and challenge hearts, that we would see your kingdom come and your will done, that we would see happen on earth what's being done in heaven. So Lord, help us not to walk away from this place the same way we walked in. Change us and challenge us, Lord. We pray this in your name. It is, uh, I don't know if any of, any of you remember the year 1905. Anybody in the house remember that year whatsoever? Do not point at your spouse. I saw that. Um, 1905 was a, a, a big year for God's favorite sport. What's God's favorite sport? It's football. Don't argue with me. It's scriptural somewhere. Um, but 1905 was a very big year uh, because it was the last year before a massive change took place in the sport itself. 
1905 is a very tough year. That in just college football alone, 18 young men passed away because of the violence of the sport itself. Very little to no pads, leather helmets, no face masks, and the only two elements of the game were kicking and running. That's it. And so they end up passing a rule and making something legalized in football that had not been legalized in the history of the game itself. They legalized the forward pass. Now you got to think, if you've ever seen Tom Brady run the ball, you would think he would have never made it in 1905 or prior. He, I, I run faster than Tom, and that's saying something. Tom, someone said, yeah, thank you for that. But in 1906, they allowed for teams to pass the ball for the first time. And most teams didn't pass the ball. Why? Because they said, we don't need change. Why change? What we are doing works. And the first college football team to pass the ball was St. Louis University. They passed the ball, and it was incomplete. It failed. But just because they tried to change something, and it failed in the first try. Didn't mean they st- didn't stop working with it. They kept going with it, and they kept working on it. And even though other teams that they played said, we're not going to pass the ball, we're going to do the three yards and a cloud of dust. We're going to keep doing what we've always done. No change whatsoever. St. Louis University decided, we're going to keep throwing. We're going to keep trying. And that year, they went 11-0 and and outscored their opponents 402-11. to Their opponents averaged one point a game. They averaged 36 point, whatever the decimal system on my calculator said last night. Because they didn't just embrace change, they decided to navigate change in a proper way. Why are we talking about that this morning? Because this is the word of the Lord to this church in Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29, to the church of Thyatira. Thyatira was a small city located just outside of Pergamum, which we preached about last week. And it was a small military town located between two valleys. And now, I don't know about you, I wouldn't want to live there because of its purpose. The purpose of it being there was so when attacking armies from other countries were coming toward Pergamum, this was the stopping point. So when Thyatira got attacked, Pergamum could now get ready. That's not where I want to live. It's like living in, like, it's like being in Kalamazoo and someone's Ohio or Indiana is going to come up and try to attack Grand Rapids, but we're the stopping point so that Grand Rapids can get, get ready and they don't get overthrown. How would you like to be the stopping point city for a larger city? That's what Thyatira was. So it's the smallest city that's addressed in the book of Revelation, and yet it has the longest letter written to it. You know what that tells me? Is no matter how small you think you are, how insignificant you think you are, I'm here to say that in God's eyes, there are no insignificant people, only insignificant mindsets. And God looks at your life and God sees massive potential. And I love the word that he gives to them in Revelation chapter 2, verse 19, where it says this, I know the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, and your service, and your patient endurance. And, get this, I can see your constant improvement in all of these things. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing to hear from the word of Jesus Christ to all of us is he sees our love, our faith, our service, and our patient endurance, and not only does he see them present in our lives, but he sees us working to constantly improve them. God is not coming to your life so that you can just stay the same. 
God has not entered into your life just so that you can just have him as an additive and you continue to live the same way. Listen, I just found out that somebody in our congregation led one of their best friends to Jesus Christ a day or two ago. And I celebrate that God is moving outside of a Sunday morning. God is still saving and redeeming. Is anybody excited about people coming to Jesus? And so we've got people like that, and then we've got people like Edith, who I just visited. She started attending K-First in 1957, and now she's been serving Jesus longer than from 1957 on. And when you look at lives from people who are two days old in the Lord to people who are 60-plus days old in the Lord, I'm here to say that when it comes to a, lifeline, a lifetime of following Jesus, there should be a trail of change behind you. Jesus has not redeemed you to keep you the same. He has not redeemed you in order just to help bedazzle your life with a few feelings and a few wonderful thi uh, things to talk about and sing about on a Sunday morning. Jesus has come to bring change in your life. And if you're looking over the course of the past 20 years of you following Jesus and you've seen no change whatsoever other than you wake up on Sundays and you come to church, then you have short-sailed the Lordship of Jesus in your life. God has come in. He wants to revolutionize your life. He wants to change you. He wants to redeem areas of your life. He wants to change your marriage. He wants to change your attitude in the mornings. He wants, to see, he wants to change the way you cuss at people on the way to work as you're going through traffic. He wants to change everything about you, how you spend your life, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, what you watch, what you take into, cheering for the cowboys, all of those things. He wants to change all of that in your life. Change is important. And change is necessary. We believe in change. We don't worship change, but when the Spirit of God speaks into our life, we will change whatever he tells us to change. I have pastoral friends who fear change in their church because they're afraid of what their people or their board will do. I have a really good friend. They had the, the, the baptismal tank right in front of their pulpit of their little church, and it was, just, it was almost hard to see over. It was so high, so we put it on wheels and put it into the back of the church so that when, when they're not using it, there was more room for prayer, but he had people leave the church because you just can't change things like that. We are fearless at K-First about change. When the Spirit of God says change, we will do it, corporately or individually. But when in, the, when in the midst of talking about this change, there's one danger that we can embrace, and it's the danger of doing things apart from the centered uh, person of who Jesus is and from outside of the community for which he's placed us in. In the culture of Christianity today, and especially evangelicism, there is a wave of what's called evolving faith that is popularly referred to as deconstruction. And the question is, and I've had people ask me, what is deconstruction, Pastor Dave? Give it to me in a nutshell. Tell me, someone asked me the other day, 30 seconds or less. What does it mean to deconstruct? And it's just simply this. Here's a simple, simple definition. To take apart tradition, belief, or practice for the purpose of understanding reality. It is taking apart a tradition that you did in the church, a belief that you've inherited, or a practice that you did within the church for the purpose of understanding it. And today it is a cultural-wide phenomenon that has garnered thousands of books, podcasts, posts, blogs that have swept across Christianity and in fact, if you learn about deconstruction and you've read about deconstruction, then you've known that over the past four to five years alone that we have seen a number of pastors, Christian leadership, 
Christian influencers who through the lens of deconstruction have abandoned their faith and many of them are agnostic or they're atheists. We've seen key worship leaders and influencers abandon their faith. And we've seen something take place within the church that we need to turn our gaze upon and begin to ask tough questions about what is this thing and how can we understand it? Because again, Jesus loves us where we're at, but he loves us too much to leave us there. Jesus leads us into change, so we need to understand what is healthy change. Because it is, it is deconstruction that has helped create the new popular term, exvangelical, which simply means a move away from traditional morality, orthodox doctrine, and or conservative social and political stances. I would even garner this, is that through 2020's election season, with the way we, the church, specifically the evangelical church, how we handle ourselves in person or specifically in social media, mixed with deconstruction, garnered this idea where people said, if that's how the church acts, I want to be no part of it. And the word exvangelical was born. And I spent enough time on social media with people, seeing posts, seeing the hashtag exvangelical, seeing that in their bio where people are proud to step away from what they have known. And I've had people say, well, why teach on this now? Why don't we wait until this really affects K first? Ladies and gentlemen, it already has. I have lost friends in terms of their faith. I won't cut them off. But I've watched friends abandon their faith. Friends abandon positions. Friends abandon leadership modes. Friends abandon the church altogether. Friends specifically abandoning Jesus because of this thing. Ladies and gentlemen, deconstruction is not a fad and it's not going away. Solomon says it best in Ecclesiastes that there's nothing new under the sun. And so deconstruction, it sounds like it's new, but in my day we called it crisis of faith. And many of us have been there. And it's, it's here at K-First where we believe we should have a culture of change because there are times that the Spirit of God gives us direction to change. Now, now I, I definitely want a show of hands on this, so I need some group participation here. Um, how many of, of you, you have grown, you grew up in a Christian tradition and you grew up maybe reading the Bible, understanding some things about the Bible, but in your Christian faith over the course of 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, how many of you believe some things differently than the way that you believed when you first came to Jesus? Anybody in the house? Look at this. This is awesome. You can put your hands down. Because some of you have come to me and you got worried two years ago when I did a series called Her Voice and I had six women preaching. And I've had people come to me and say, Pastor Dave, did you know the scripture says that women aren't supposed to preach? For which I said, did you realize you're reading that scripture's incorrect? Because the first evangelists of the resurrected Jesus was women. The first preachers were women. My wife has just amen me for the first time in a long time. And if you study the scriptures, you realize that women weren't an add-on to the original church. They were instrumental in launching as evangelists, prophets, deaconesses. They were instrumental. I've had people show up. I had this one gentleman. He told me, he goes, I avoided visiting. I've always wanted to hear you preach. I've always wanted to visit, visit your church. But you guys might handle snakes and swing on chandeliers. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, it's the Holy Spirit stuff that's spooky. 
And then this is what he told me. He says, I thought I would show up to the safest, less spooky service out of the year. He showed up to Christmas candlelight service. And during a Christmas hymn, this is what he said. He says, all of a sudden, I experienced something in the atmosphere that broke me to the point where I am crying. And I couldn't deny. He goes, I grew up hearing in my theology of my church, the Spirit of God, the move of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were only for the Acts church, only for the age of the apostles. And he says, in a moment in the Christmas service, the Spirit of God revealed something to me that said, I had learned something wrong. I needed to go back to the Scriptures. I needed to find out because the Spirit of God, He is real, He is alive, and He wants to move through my life. What was he actually doing? I would, I would argue he was deconstructing. And so I want to talk to you about, talk to you about this. Because the word deconstruction is really oftentimes a generalized word when you hear people talk about deconstructing their faith. And so when they're, when they're doing it, we're actually talking about one of four things. So this is a great Sunday to take notes. Because if you've never heard of it, this, this is a good time to take notes. If you have heard of this, this is a great time to take notes. So when we're talking about deconstruction, there are one of four things I believe that are actually happening. Number one, a person may be going through a season of doubts. If you're a believer in the house, I want to get some more participation. Have, has anybody in the house, in your Christian faith, have you had a moment a day, a week, a season where you experience any doubt in your Christian faith. Anybody besides me? Oh, I got real people that go to this church. Thank you, Jesus. They're not robots. This is wonderful. We've all experienced moments of doubt. We all have gone through those crises of faith. But let me say something about doubt because I don't believe that doubt is something that has ever been actually blessed in Scripture. But it's something that we all visit. Let me say it this way. Doubt is something that we as believers visit. We just don't live there. I know people that celebrate when people get not just hit by doubt, but they get lost in doubt. Let me tell you this, that listen, if you are coming to the place where you're asking questions, I, I actually celebrate that. But my goal is never ever to celebrate that you're in a place of being lost and say, come on out, come on out of that. Or at worst, shaming people for experienced doubt. I want to help them there because that's the place where they're wrestling with God. And they're trying to figure out what they believe. I mean, this is what we see in the Apostle Thomas, where the resurrected Jesus appears to ten, the ten apostles, Judas, uh, he's hanging out somewhere. Christian joke. That was so bad. That's all someone's going to remember from this message. Jesus appears to the disciples. Thomas isn't there. And when he hears about it, we call him what? Doubting Thomas. Unless I touch the scars. Unless I see him, I don't believe. We see that the greatest, Jesus called him the greatest prophet that ever lived, John the Baptist. He is in prison. This man was fiery in his preaching, calling the world to repentance, baptizing people, crying out about Jesus and preparing the way, and he's in prison, going through a dark season, and he sends word to Jesus saying, are you the one that I was talking about? Are you the one that we're looking for, or should we look for somebody else? See, questions for some people, we get scared when people ask questions. I would argue this, that questions of doubt can actually cause us to reconstruct stronger lives and have a deeper-rooted faith. 
So deconstruction can be people that are going through seasons of doubt. Or secondly, they can be going through a season of what's called the dark night of the soul. See, doubt is when I'm struggling to make sense of God. The dark night of the soul is when I feel that God has pulled back from me. When I feel that God is, has been distanced from me. And I'm going through a dark moment, a season of suffering. And, I, and I'm asking the question, where is God? Has anybody in their Christian faith has ever gone through dark seasons where in your brain you know that God will never leave you. But in your feelings and in your flesh, you feel like God is so far away. Anybody else besides me? Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Put your hands up because I feel like I go through it constantly. Moments where my emotions start telling me one thing and my brain is telling me another. Is this not what Jesus cried out on the cross when he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is this not what Job went through in the book of Job where he lost kids to death? He lost his livelihood. He lost his health. And he was crying out to God. And the whole book is about Job going through that moment. And these moments are tough. And I believe that God does allow these seasons not to destroy us, but so that we can reconstruct a deeper faith. Number three, when people are deconstructing, not only did they go through seasons of doubt, it could be a season of dark night of the soul. Number three, it could be a season of simply developing, distancing, or disconnecting. Disconnecting from what? Unhealthy or unhelpful faith. This is people that are legitimately examining their church traditions. I remember uh, back in Bible college, I went to a Pentecostal Bible college and across town, our rivals were Baptist Bible college. We called them BBC. And they were our rivals in all of, in all of our sports and things. And uh, we just had a blast. It was awesome being in the same city as our Baptist uh, brothers and sisters. And more often than not, we would run into a BBC student at the laundromat or in the mall or wherever. And more often than you would think is they grew up in a tradition for which the Spirit of God ceased to work with the gifts in when the Old Testament was done. And more often than not, we would run into them and they would say, hey, can we talk to you? Let's, let's sit, let's talk. And they would begin to ask, why are we learning something that seems to be different from what the scripture actually says? Why, when we read the scripture, do we read from Peter's mouth that the gift of the Spirit is not just for you or for others, but for everybody for whom he would call? What about 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, the gifts of the Spirit? Why don't we talk about that where we're at? Why are we not in? And I'm not trying to bash or to set aside the Baptist tradition, but there are times where I see individuals where what they grew up in, they begin to ask questions. They begin to go to their base belief, and they want to say, what is real Jesus? What is culture, and what is Jesus? What is Americanized Christianity, and what is real Christianity? What is real faith? What is a fad? What is just an emotion? What is real? Now listen, I, I've been saved for a long time. I am a fourth generation Pentecostal credential holding minister. I think that's a very cool thing. But can I tell you something? It doesn't mean squat when it comes to how I stand before the Lord because I'm not going to stand before Jesus and I'm not going to be saved because of what was passed down to me. I'm saved because of what I chose, because of my faith in Jesus Christ. And some of us are trying to lean on what's been passed. And I don't negate what my great-grandparents and my grandparents and my parents have passed on to me. I thank God for that. I relish that. I enjoy that. But the reality is what saved me is not what's been handed. It's what I have experienced. And these seasons of asking questions for which I was there. 
as this 15-year-old, 16-year-old asking God, God, why did you kill my younger brother? That's what I said to God. God, why has he gone? Why am I still here? I went through all sorts of questions. And those moments of questions, some of us are afraid when people ask those questions. But can I tell you this? God is not scared of your questions. He's not scared of your wonderings. He's not scared of your pain. And when we go through that season where we're asking, we're developing, sometimes even distancing a little bit, and we're just discontent with what we were handed because we want to discover our real faith, this season can help us to do more than just have faith handed. It can help us to have a more personal faith. So when people say deconstruction, they could be talking about their season of doubt. They could be talking about the dark night of the soul, this season of suffering or pain they're going through. It could be they're just discontent or distancing themselves a little bit. But there's a fourth that has become a very popular way, and it's what I call simply denying their faith. Or in other words, they're they're absolutely devastating their own faith. And my issue with this one is there is no purpose in this fourth category. There's no purpose for reconstruction because their moment is pure devastation. I've experienced this with a few people where they're using the word deconstruction as a way to justify or the label them walking away from Jesus. And my problem with calling that deconstruction, because the purpose of deconstruction is actually that you would reconstruct something, but they're utilizing it and it's actually doing a disservice to the previous three categories. It's lumping them in. People who are legitimately wrestling with their faith with people that just simply want to see the church burn. Can I be that blunt with you this morning? In the great Christian movie, The Dark Knight, Alfred said it best to Bruce Wayne. Some people just want to watch the world burn. And there's some people that they just want to watch the church burn. And there could be a, no- a number of reasons for that. But let me say it this way. Deconstructing faith without a heart of Christ-centered reconstruction has one goal, total devastation. So when people utilize this term, and Pastor, why are you walking us through this thing? Why are we talking about this? It's because when you encounter somebody who's deconstructing, the goal to have those four things is for you to discern where they are at currently. Not so that you can judge them, but so that you can come alongside of them. It is breaking my heart to see people who are going through legitimate doubt. They're going through dark nights. They're going through moments where they have questions. And every Christian friend has abandoned them or guilted them. And they feel alone. And no wonder why they've gone to a fad. No wonder why they've gone to culture. Because they will listen. Kayford, it is normal to go through seasons of crisis of faith. But don't believe the fourth category. That the goal is to get people to deconstruct. The goal of deconstruction is not the end goal. It is the middle of a process of maturation. And I want to, I want to describe that to you. When we grow physically, we have three stages. The three stages is construction, destruction, and reconstruction. That's the three stages of growth. For example, when you, when you were born, how many of you came walking out of the womb, talking ready to get a job, and make money to support your family. None of us, and we spent the first 
day zero all the way through into our teens, going through construction, parents giving us building blocks, teachers, authority figures speaking into us, giving us material to work with in our life. And sometime in the late teens and early 20s, we begin to ask questions. What was I handed? What did my family of origin give me? What did somebody put within my lap? What do I do with with this now? Because now it's time to start adulting. And we go through a reconstruction where we're taking everything that we were handed and we're trying to decide, do I need this? Do I need that? Do I want this? Do I want that? What is really me? But the goal of reconstruction, uh, the goal of deconstruction is actually to get us to the place where we're not just looking and digesting everything that we've been given, but for us to say, not now that I've seen what I've been given, now I need to put together so that I can now live. And this is not just the way that we live as physical human beings, but it's as spirit people. We're spiritual people. And so when we come to Christ, we come to Christ on a very constructive stage. That stage for which we were handed things. The pastor handed us things. Sunday school leadership. Um, People like, if you go tomorrow to the, to the, uh, the boundaries class, you hear ways to construct boundaries in your life. You'll start getting information. And then at some point during your walk with Jesus, you will begin growing. I pray that you have grown a little bit since the first time you put your faith in Jesus. But as you, Wendy, you shook your head. Thank you, Wendy. You're the only one that growed. That growed. I just said growed. Goodness gracious. But at some point, you'll begin to ask questions because we have those seasons. The doubt or the dark night or sometimes even being discontent with some things that we were handed. And this is the place where people are truly trying to find out what they believe. And the goal is to get them to the place of reconstruction. Because when we get to the place of reconstruction, where we look at what we were raised with, what we were given, we begin to digest it well. We get to the place where it's time to start building our lives. And the people that live in that third stage, they have a deep conviction about God, Scripture, reality, and morality. You have a high capacity of love and sensitivity sensitivity to the Spirit of God. But ladies and gentlemen, let's not get stuck in the middle season. And unfortunately, we have too many Christians that live in season one. We're still living as baby Christians, but yet we've been serving Jesus for 20 and 30 years. And we have to grow. But if you're here today, for anybody watching online or for anybody here, if you are in that middle season right now, let me just admit something to you. As a Christian, as a pastor, let me say that we have not always handled you well in that middle season. I don't know if anybody who's gone through seasons of doubt, but I know that, let me speak to those that are dealing with doubts this morning. My worry is that when you shared your doubt with individuals, that we snap back with guilt instead of giving mercy. Uh, Jude chapter one, verse 22 says that we are to show mercies for those who are in doubt. Maybe you're here going through the dark night of the soul and maybe you're going through seasons of pain. And I'm sorry if all you've heard from Christians is just pray more, just have more faith. Just put a worship song on and everything will be all right. Or, this is what somebody said to my parents. I remember my dad telling me, somebody said this to my parents when my brother passed away. What did you do to even cause that to even happen? We have construction and then we have this middle area where there are people that are sitting in this room that are going through these. And let me tell you this, this stage is hard. 
and you can't do it alone. I will already volunteer my staff that if you have questions in your doubt, if you are, have questions in your pain, you have questions in your faith, you have our attention. And not only do you have our attention, there are believers in this church that will not abandon you. They will walk with you through the entire time. Because if Jesus didn't leave us alone in the valley of the shadow of death, we will not leave you alone. And take the words of my dad and his generation who will say, Keep the faith, don't give up. Don't give up. You may have been shunned. Some of you have come from other, I'll just say other churches for which you were dropped, you were hurt because you had questions. You're not going to be dropped, and I pray that you're not going to be hurt here. The question is, what drives deconstruction? And I love, I was, I, man, I was gleaning from Tyler Stanton. He's the pastor of Bridgetown Church. I was gleaning from him a little bit. And he talks about three external and internal factors. So I adapt them a little bit. So what drives deconstruction? Let's look at the, the external factors. See if you can put that up there. The external factors are this. You have low, you have broken, let me start here. Shallow discipleship is what I wrote. Shallow discipleship, what this means is we have churches that are more interested in making converts than disciples. Jesus did not call us to make converts. He's called us to make disciples. So when you have a low discipleship culture, then you have what's called ascendant secular theologies that are attempting to replace the way of Jesus. This is fed by the IV of social media. It's driven by what's popular and appealing. And it's the place where self is the highest authority. And we mix that with what we call the tragic breakdown of spiritual leadership, broken trust. This is the place where we've seen pastors fall because of adultery, pornography, embezzlement. How many pastors have to fall that a generation of millennials and zeers have to witness for us to get our crap together? Ladies and gentlemen, what we have to do is listen. We don't have to make spectacles of them. There's a pastor that I highly respect. Two weeks ago, had to step down because of an adultery situation, and my heart breaks, and I sit in a pool of my own tears saying, God, I cannot stand in judgment. Keep me humble. But in these are the moments that, church, we cannot, we cannot cover this stuff up. We cannot try to hide it because that alone will break trust in people. We have to acknowledge that some people have grown up seeing these things. They've been through abusive churches and it may require a bit of deconstruction in their life. Some people are hurt and we cannot stand and tell them to not be hurt. We have to walk through with them. Two months ago, I was meeting with a pastor. I've got a, a pastor that I'm meeting with that we're, we've got a dream of, of coming up with a philosophy and a, and a way to help hurting churches grow and help hurting churches walk through some very tough times. And so we met in the whopping metropolis of Marshall, Michigan. Found a little diner that we have never been to and we were just talking church stuff and the waitress walks up. She goes, can I take your order? And, and I'm looking at the, at the menu. She goes, before I take your order, can I ask you a question? Are you talking about church stuff? I said, well, yeah. And then for the next 10 minutes, she began to talk about the ministry that if I named the, the worldwide ministry, you would know the name, and I'm not going to do that. She began to talk about how she was an intern. She began to talk about how she began to help with things behind the scenes. And, and 
she went through an accusation. A guest speaker came in and talked to her and she's supposed to be silent and serve and she talked and immediately was thrown that she was flirting and automatically she was thrown into disciplinary action and she was fired and sent back home for, for being a, a flirt. And she was just beginning to talk with us for 10 minutes. And listen, I know there's probably other sides of other coins, but how many of you know that when sometimes when you're listening, that the spirit of God begins to make your heart attuned to get out of the place of judgment and be in the place of empathy and sympathy. And we listen to her talk for 10 minutes and all of a sudden we begin to talk for about 10 minutes just asking her questions. And I remember my friend James, Pastor James, he says, hey, before we say anything, we want to let you know we are pastors and we're also sorry. And I felt like the spirit of God just came into that diner. 20 minutes, we have yet to give our order. (laughs) But it's 20 of the most holy minutes that I've experienced in a long time where all of a sudden we begin to have a conversation and just simply listen to her hurt. And what I love is she had gone through a little bit of a deconstruction. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, I had a dream of one day being on a platform. She says, but right now, wherever I walk, my pavement is my platform to live for the Lord. Deconstruction doesn't have to claim. There can be something won through it. And we have external factors that are at play. We have to improve our discipleship. We've got to watch our hearts from the ascendant ideologies lingering out there that are not in alignment with Christ and his scripture. And we do have to see that people get hurt in church. Can I get a word to everybody this morning? Stop putting your faith in the church. Put your faith in Jesus. Church people, some of them are crazy. Some are weird cleaning the guy up here but they're all human stop putting your trust in the church put your trust in Jesus but be cautious about what you say about the church because I'm telling you what I am I'm a very very godly man but if you mess with my wife there's trailer park Dave will come out of me I promise you (laughs) why do I say that because we have to be cautious because we could trash the church but we have to remember the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. And we need to be cautious how we treat and act about the church. What else drives it is internal factors. And I need to wrap up so Gabe or somebody come play so I'll shut up. They're internal factors. The internal factors are simply this. There's a lack of the lordship of Jesus. And what do I mean by that? There is a lack of surrender to God's fierce love. There's a lack of fear of God generations wide. Well, yeah, the millennials. Can we stop blaming the millennials or the Zers or the Xers or the boomers? It's all of our fault. And what is in one generation is in the others. But we have a lack of the lordship. We have undisciplined flesh that has had free reign that has not been conquered by the Spirit's power. Here's the problem that I see when it comes to the lack of lordship. is too many people come to Christ from a secular point of view. And what I mean by that is we, we give our hearts to Jesus, but we live our life from the idea that self is the focus and self is the truth. Well, Pastor Dave, you don't know about my, my truth. Can we stop saying the words, my truth? Can we just say the words, my opinion? If you come to Jesus from a secular viewpoint where you want Jesus as as Lord over eternity but not Lord over the present because you want want to be self-focused, self-driven. And if you do that, no wonder why the Christianity faith in people's lives are crumbling because it was never meant to handle the load of self. 
Self cannot bear the load of your life. Only Jesus can do that. And we need to live lives that have Jesus as the center of it all. And Christ being authority. And if we can walk that way, I promise it will save you from a lot of pain. Because instead of reading the scripture and trying to find what fits you, you begin to read the scripture and find out what fits Jesus and you live that. So the lack of lordship, another internal factor is we have a mind that is full of digital inputs rather than saturated in prayer and scripture. There was a study by the Barner Group that said that millennials right now, they invest about 3,000 hours of digital content a year in their minds. And about 150 of them are Christ-centered in nature. That is a 20 to 1 ratio. Ladies and gentlemen, if we're not getting the word in our hearts, if we're not spending time in worship, if we're not spending time in fellowship, if we're not serving one another, if we're not getting the inputs in our life, we're going to have a 20 to 1 life that will have a corrosive effect upon our faith. Because you will become what you pay attention to. And the last, but surely not least, I say this with the most tender spirit imaginable. There are people that are deconstructing because they have a wounded heart. Because I have yet to meet a deconstructing individual who is pulling apart their faith, who is not first wounded, maybe wounded by a church experience, wounded by parents who brought them to church and raised their hands but didn't live like Jesus at all during the week. Wounded by simple loneliness in their life. They long to be married and they've yet to find somebody and they're just lonely and that has damaged or hurt them. Some people in 2020, they were wounded by the pain of the church being corrupted by the political left and the political right. And we have to learn that we can't leave our wounds untreated. Untreated spiritual and emotional wounds will become portals for demonic attack. And not only do they become portals, they become a place for what I call double trauma. What do I mean by double trauma? Is you got initially hurt. And if you don't treat those wounds correctly, then demonic attack hits you when you're vulnerable and will begin to plant in your mind lies about God's goodness, lies about God's people, lies about the validity of God or the church, and will begin to afflict you from the inside out. Well, Pastor Dave, I'm reconstructing. What would you tell me to do? I would simply say this, return to the love of Jesus. Return to the love of Jesus. If you want to know what proper deconstruction looks like in my brain, it's removing everything but Jesus and learning to rebuild in a Christ-centered community. You cannot reconstruct without those essential elements. Well, Pastor, if I don't trust congregations, then you need to find two to three people that are Christ-centered, that are maybe a few steps ahead of you. Find an older saint. And when I say older saint, they're older than you in the Lord. And get back to Jesus and walk it through with them. You cannot do it by yourself. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27 says, Jesus talks about the foundation, that if you build your life on the sand, things that shift. You build your life on the culture. You build it on social media. You build it on things that shift. You're going to fall apart when the storm comes. But that's why you need to build your life on the rock. On Jesus. If you're deconstructing, I don't know if you're dealing with doubt, the dark night, go back to Jesus. Don't go back to the assemblies of God. And I love the assemblies. Don't go back to the Baptist or Lutheran or Church of God in Christ. I can go through denomination after denomination. I'm not having you go back to denomination. I just want you going back to Jesus.
and get back to him. You're like, how does this even tie into Revelation? Pastor, did you forget about it? The church of Thyatira. Let it be said of us, like it was said of them, where I see Kafer's faith. I see their love. I see their ministries. I see their tables. I see their lives. I see their devotionals. Let it be said of them that I see that and I see their constant improvement. I see them doing more than constructing, doing more than deconstructing, but I see them working to reconstruct so that what is seen in this church is not the image of a denomination. And God bless the assemblies of God that we are a part of, but we're not here to proclaim their name. Let people look at this church and see a better version of the resurrected Jesus Christ the Lord. If you're, if you're deconstructing, come back to Jesus. Well, what about us that aren't deconstructing right now? My word to you is this. Do not abandon those who are in a crisis of faith. Did you know this? That when Jesus resurrected from the dead, that he didn't go to Rome to talk with leadership and confront policies and, and, and politics. He didn't go to the church, to the temple, to confront spiritual, the, the spiritual leadership. Do you know what Jesus did? He went searching after people struggling in their faith. He found Peter. He found Thomas. He went after the disciples. He went toward what seemed like two nobodies, two men on the road to Emmaus. Why? They were struggling in their faith. And he spent time, his last moments on earth before ascending into heaven, establishing faith in the hearts of individuals. Ladies and gentlemen, if you see someone struggling in their faith, do not just simply pray from afar. Get on the ground floor with them. Let them know their questions are safe. Well, pastor, I may not know the answer. You know what? Welcome to the club of people that don't have all the answers. But I've learned this, that most people don't need your answers as much as they need your presence. Hold space. And this will happen when we will stop seeing people as, as spiritual accomplishments, but we will see them as opportunities of love and care. Because helping people through deconstruction, it's not about finding a better argument for Jesus and making him more credible. That's honestly, Jesus, I believe, is credible. You know what we need to do? We need to work hard at making Jesus beautiful. Make him beautiful again. Let's make Jesus beautiful again. If you see someone hurting in their faith, let's make Jesus beautiful again. And let's embrace them. Well, I don't want people to think that I'm just saying that their lifestyle or the way they're living is acceptable. You know what? Stop worrying about that. Love them the way Jesus. And if other Christians are going to gossip, then let that happen. Let Jesus deal with them on their gossip. Man, why are we so concerned about other Christians? Let's be concerned about what Jesus has called us to. And this is a lot of information for me to get through, but this is something that is literally claiming people from the inside out. And if we could get a, do a better job of understanding what it is so that we can understand where people are at, so that we can understand what they're going through, we could do a better job of stepping into where they are at and walking them through their valleys so that we can not just see a deconstruction, but we can see a reconstruction of the image of what Jesus wants to do in and through their life. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm done yakking today.